I like firing that. Shots at all. I like That's it. The truth. Well, with that, welcome to the Washdown Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Jeremy Green. My co-host, Chris Nelson. James Moran, our producer Hello. behind the camera. And today we have a guest, Miss Rachel Willoughby Green, who happens to be my wife and apparently hates my Jeep. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I wonder how much I can say without starting a fight. This is like this is like the after Super Bowl episode. Like, tune in for the live version of this. Who knows what could happen? Oh, oh by so, the way, I agree. Patches sucks. By the way, yeah. that's what he heard. Yeah, not necessarily what came out of my mouth, but that's what he heard. That's, yeah, it's roundabout that, way what came what out of my mouth. We've had that conversation about how much that Jeep is horrible to ride in and drive. And look at now. See, that's where you're wrong because that Jeep is very fun to drive. You know those old movies. You remember, like the movie Navy Seals, right? Mm-hmm. They're driving on the bridge that Charlie Sheen when Charlie Sheen jumps out, uh-huh. and the and Michael Biehn's driving. Uh-huh. That's patches, <laughs> and that's a normal drive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old military videos from World War One and Two about the jeeps, and they're just bouncing down the road. That's patches. Jeremy, would you like to yeah. tell our listeners why patches <laughs> is named patches? Um, somebody gave it that nickname. And I don't even know why, but, well, no, I do know why, because I sanded it down and I didn't get all, quite all of the... It's because it's patched together. That's emblem <laughs> off, so you could kind of see it through the new paint I put on it, and yeah, anyway. You know how much bubblegum Jeremy chews in a week to keep that Jeep running? <laughs> <laughs> that's just to seal it for the duct tape. <laughs> hey, man. Keeps gets me to point A from point B, and as it, long as I don't break it, it, it does yeah. not. It, does it not doesn't get to point, get point, to point C. It goes from A to B. It does not it, get to. We C. just gets, don't know where B's gonna be. It gets yeah. you to point <laughs> A. It gets you to point A and towed to point B. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Sorry. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing it. Um, you have been a licensed therapist for how long now? Uh, since 2014. 2014, and you work, I mean, you work with all populations, but you really work with military and first responders, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's kind of your, I don't want to say niche, but kind of your passion. Yeah, absolutely. So we could consider you a subject matter expert like Jeremy wishes he was. Oh, dang, that's a good one. Um, I don't know if I want to own that or claim it or not. I think it was bestowed on you. I'm not ready to go down. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) This isn't going to be a pick on Jeremy episode. Could be. Will be. I'm going to let the smart one here take the lead. So uh, you do a lot of different stuff, like work with a lot of different nonprofits, Horses for Heroes, um, Veterans for Life, do a lot of stuff like that. Um, can you just like, first let's talk about kind of go through horses and heroes a little bit, and then we will talk about restore, which is something that you and I came up with. Mostly you. I just kind of drove the Jeep while you, you were in the it all out. Yeah. He was, he was, he was just he there. Was present. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Way to jump right in. You had input. Yeah. He did. Was it that's a, that's a good idea, honey. Is that was that the input? Yes, that's the okay. exact kind he should have. Smile and yeah. nod. So it should be. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, so horses and heroes. 
Mm-hmm. So I have been with Horses and Heroes since 2015. Um, Julie Baker founded it in, uh, I think, October uh, 2014. So it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we're based out of Shawnee, Kansas, and um, we offer equine-assisted psychotherapy, so just equine-assisted counseling sessions um, for military and first responders. Um, and we like broaden it out so those sessions can be individual, family sessions, couple sessions, um, or a combination of all of the above. So, so now, when, when you say it's a therapy session with the horses, people don't know that means horses. Equine. Equine, yeah, horses, yeah, yep, horses. Yeah, just getting that out there. Because some people are like googling right now, like, hey, <laughs> just help you out. <laughs> but so, kind of explain what what you mean that when you you do that that therapy, what it actually entails. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think we've ever really talked about it. We haven't. No. I think I've I've had my assumptions, but yeah, never really broke it down. Yeah, which which a lot of people do. So, um, it is one of those things too. It's like it makes a lot more sense when you see it. Um, but basically the, so the horses are a part of the therapy sessions. So, you know, we have our typical kind of intake part and paperwork, but, um, you know, I get people out or we get people out into the arena, um, you know, from day one. So it's all ground-based. So we're not doing any writing. Um, and it's not necessarily about horsemanship. Like we do edu- we do offer some education about the horses. Um, but a lot of it is allowing um, space for somebody's own interpretation and um, experience of the horse without us explaining why a horse is doing what it's doing. Um, so horses are, because they're prey animals, they're incredibly intuitive, um, just very aware of their environment. And because of that, they're, con- they're picking up on stuff all the time. So they really do respond to us as individuals and our dynamic in a group as well. Um, so they give us really good, just real-time feedback on kind of what's going on in us. Um, I love being able to work with them too because their nervous system functions very much like ours. So we get to observe, um, you know, without, I mean, just basic level how um, a nervous system functions. We have a random squeak. That's my squirrel. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I hear a squeak. I know that's gonna be bad. That's, oh, that's I love it. Okay, sorry. No, it's totally unscripted. Nothing, anything can happen. Yeah. Even though it's something serious, I still think you need to have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it's, I mean? Just think of this as like the kitchen table conversation because yeah. that's that's what it is. Let's not go that far because I've been really mean at your kitchen table. What? I thought she was gonna stab me one day. I really did. What's happening? What the- uh, That's a normal thing for him. He he does that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, don't look, just don't look that way. <laughs> now I'm going to. <laughs> now I'm just going to be staring over here the whole time. Um, anyway, so by even just being around horses, by watching horses, we learn a lot about just how we function too. So, you know, like you might see a horse being just – rest and chill and connected and then you're going to see a horse get activated by something um, and then you see them how they deal with that and cope and come back to safety and so those pieces of it teach us a lot um, or help us to teach clients about what's going on in them too Um, and then just being able to it being around a horse like it, it does they've done a ton of research on it now too how their heart rate and because it's lower than ours um, so the proximity that we can be in with a horse with their resting heart rate has a positive effect on ours and can calm us back down. Cool. I didn't um, know that. 
Yeah, so there's pretty amazing stuff, and then just um, you know being out there and the dynamics that happen because we work with multiple horses at a time. So that herd dynamic, because it's very social. So um, people tend to, you know, we tell ourselves a lot of stories about things, and we're meaning-making creatures. So even just observing horses' interaction with each other and then with us, too, um, usually tells us a lot about what's going on in us or in our life or relationships. Why have we seen so much success with the equine therapy, especially with our first responders and military personnel? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. Um, everybody might have their own interpretations of it, but one, so it, it's a really safe way to do therapy, and I think people naturally come to it a little bit more comfortable. Like if you're coming outside around an animal, um, we do a lot of our work through the horse rather than you know, just looking at you and talking about you. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so it feels more comfortable, right? Like it's, you get to be outside, you get to be with animals, you're with other people. Um, so that piece, I think just naturally we're a little bit less guarded. So it makes therapy a little bit easier. Um, and then they just, it really does just make, it's kind of crazy how it just makes therapy so much easier. Um, but I think that that piece, um, and then it's very solution focused, you know, we're not just going in there and rehashing a bunch of stuff or talking about like you're walking away you're learning something day one you're going to work on a skill day one um so having that we have a particular there may be an agenda there's a lot of fluidity to it because you never know what's going to happen right because horses they're not part of our agenda they're going to do what they do um but then you know so having something to guide it but then also being very present focused very solution focused um you're going to walk away with something which from my experience working with veterans and first responders, you want to walk away day one feeling like you either learned something, picked up something. You're not just... So almost very similar to our own schedules. We know what station we're showing up to work. We know our routine for the day. But like you said, the fluidity of it, it's open. We don't know how the day is going to go. We don't, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a good way to relate it. So that's it. Excuse me. So that kind of brings us to like cultural competency and knowing about that kind of, you know, work life or day life that, you know, first responders, military people go through um, and you as a counselor being able to apply that. So how important do you find that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's priceless. Like you can with a sincere heart and humility, like you can work with different populations, right? Because we as counselors are trained to be multicultural, but if you're gonna choose to really focus on or specialize in a particular population, then understanding what that is and what that means and looks like and what their life and culture is, um, is a really important piece and just building relationship and trust, right? Which is a huge part of, of therapy. Um, so, you know, for me, like, understanding, which, and I'm always asking questions, right, because I don't, never will I know it all, um, but being, also being real and humble enough to, to say, you know, okay, educate me a little bit or help me understand that, but to be able to apply, because there's so much that um, you guys do in your work life um, that can translate into therapy, and so I think that that kind of stuff, especially, and for military as well, just... You know, that's why I'm always asking, like, okay, so how would you approach that at work? Or how would you approach that at a call? Or, you know, what particular skill is that or training? And if you can kind of apply that to therapy, too, then it makes therapy just kind of another 
another part of training, you know, just kind of another PT, another way that you're being mission ready or, um, you know. Yeah. Training but, for your so, brain. Right. That explains yeah. some questions that she's asked me in the past now. That's got a weird question. <laughs> I should, should probably preface that. It's like, yeah. That's out of the blue. Yeah. But now that I, makes sense. I, 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 I you were just a guinea oh. pig. Yeah. Well, that, that's fine. I don't mind being a guinea pig, but it was just kind of was, it was odd. <laughs> so I didn't expect to be asked that question. But it makes sense. You were I, obviously I'm, really nice about it. So yeah. thanks. When am I not nice? Don't answer that. But. <laughs> Every mean thing I've always said with a smile on my face. Very sweet about it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Your delivery is. It, yeah. It's not about what we'll you say, it's about how you say it. Yes. <laughs> no, that is not right. <laughs> Would you be so kind as to leave me alone? <laughs> No, but I mean, what, what she's, what, and I'm just saying, what she's, ta- what she's saying when she asks us questions. I mean, she, you, you do that all the time, too. Do I? Yeah. Yeah, oh, no, oh, no, I'm not saying oh. that in a bad way. Okay. I'm saying you, you ask us probably, questions about things at, yeah. at work and how we would handle things in certain, in certain ways. Yeah. But that may, and that makes sense that you take that to your training. Yeah. To help somebody else. Right. I yeah. like that. Yeah. So I probably That's, don't realize how much I do it. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. If, if no. we had a problem, we would tell you we had a problem. We know you well enough. I, I think that's not a big deal. That definitely speaks yeah. to your nature, though. We are we're problem solvers, so we're constantly looking at a situation, going, "How can we, you know, uncluster this? What what can we do?" Yeah. And I think it's the same for you. You're constantly d- diving in and learning, asking questions on how you can improve as well. Same with us. It's just a different realm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We've asked you questions about counseling questions and mental health questions. Why wouldn't you ask somebody who knows, has more experience in that area? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a piece like knowing, you know, that it's, well, this is true in multiple ways. Working with first responders and um, service members of veterans, like for clinicians to know that it's a two-way street. And so, you know, I was about to say it in the realm of, you know, education, that it's not just, you know, somebody's not just coming into my office to learn something about me. Like I'm there to learn something about them too. And there's a lot that you bring and so ideally to be able to do therapy and like what do you already have um you know what tools are in your toolbox that that we can use and apply um but it's also a two-way street and that you know there's a it's a different relationship um and to build trust with first responders um and with veterans service members in general um is to open up about you a little bit more and so and clinicians like i mean it's just pounded into you at school to be a blank slate to you know not not self-disclosure that the session isn't about you the session is about the client um and i think there's i mean there's some flexibility in that in some programs but that's typically the nature of it and that's not how it works with first responders or that's at least in my experience of doing this work since 2015 um it's definitely a two-way street to be able to build that trust to understand a little bit more about who am i how do i function as well not just well yeah and you know like we've had the conversations in the past of we're always sizing things up yeah you know uh, probably you know like we've talked about more so on the pd side um but yeah i mean we're always threat assessing too you know Mm -hmm. because that's what we have to do on our job when we walk Mm -hmm. into a scene it's like all right what's going on what's you know so yeah oh yeah we want to know who we're dealing with yeah your guys' bullshit detectors work very well. <laughs> you, you bring up a good point, too, of, of almost th- when we talk about mental health for first responders, we all realize it's an ever-evolving field. Um, 
Would you say at the core basis of education for someone wanting to go in maybe social work or counseling and work with first responders, that the education is even almost appropriate? Or have you seen a change in the curriculum of education from these schools maybe to better address first responders and military personnel? It's a good question. So um, I don't know if I could answer it in the realm of schools because I you know, don't have much involvement um, in like any of the colleges or universities, like what they're teaching. Um, I'm still connected with a lot of people who teach, and I've done some supervision of students, um, but that wasn't their... So typically, not necessarily within the schools, um, there is definitely a lot more interest outside of it. So continued education and other clinicians trying to offer trainings and education um, on what it means, you know, like military culture, on first responder culture, um, what it means to clinically work with them. So that piece, because it is popular right now, I don't say that in a negative way, but it is right now to be able to work with veterans and first responders. So a lot of clinicians are more interested in it. Um, so there's definitely more out there, people trying to work on and build more cultural competency classes and stuff. That was going to be my next question. Honestly, was, do they have classes that are specific to military and first responders, the way right. we think, what we see, to actually kind of understand what we do? Because most people don't. Right. You see what's on TV or the news, but that's not right. that's a small percentage of it. 911 yeah. Lone Star isn't a documentary? <laughs> I'm like playing that one in my head. I'm like, what is that one? Yeah. That's the one with Rob no. Lowe. No. That's the one with Rob Lowe? That's the one with Rob Lowe. I don't know. Oh, I never watched okay, them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I watched Chicago Fire for like a season or two because my wife wanted to watch it too. I was like, this right is Right to the so point bad. that you said, you can't do that enough times that you just give up on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm done. Rescue Me was the only one I could really watch all the way through. Yeah. Except for Emergency. But they were more, more believable. <laughs> Except for Backdraft. Backdraft is amazing. So, Mrs. Green, <laughs> what would you say the, uh, the shift has been? You said it veterans and first responders has become more popular per se yeah, yeah. what do you think has made that shift to that mentality that the recognition needs to be there that's a, you know i don't i don't know that is a good question there i mean somewhere culturally like we've just talked about it more like the news talks about it there's um it's just i don't know it's kind of a part of our culture um, and I've seen more of that grow, and I don't know. I'd be curious what you guys think because I don't know if I, I have mean, the answer to that. And just thinking about it real quick because, I mean, I haven't really thought about it long term, but I would say I would have to guess that part of it is that we have so many combat veterans now that it probably started there, you know, yeah. since we've been at yeah. war for 20-plus years. Um and I think it's a trickle down, just like, you know, a lot of other things that kind of starts with the military, you know, a lot of our first aid and things like that mm -hmm. is stuff that they did and it got passed down to the quote unquote civilian population, yeah. you know, yeah. a year, two, three, four years later. Yeah. I think it goes a little more than that where it's not, it's not just because of that, of being at war for that long yeah. and the issues that they see, but I think it's people who have, who are combat vets. Like what, this is when it comes to the military, and their opinions of things have changed, and they, somebody wants they see a friend that needs help and they can't get it, so they start doing the podcast or they do the foundations, and that stuff, and then it, it kind of, it picks up steam with because of the rise of social media, and it gets out there, mm -hmm. and yeah. then everybody's like, oh, well I didn't know this was going on, and then it you know, 
And you know. everybody knows somebody who was in the military. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's not hard to, or even their own yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, my, my cousin did multiple tours, and he's got issues. And I worry about him. But, you know, years ago, there was nothing there, really. Not like today. Yeah. Right. So we're, 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 we're here. Today we're where we should have been 30 years ago, in my opinion. And that's overall, whether it's military, first responder, or just a civilian, quote unquote. Yeah. That's, that's where I, and like yeah. Jeremy said, quick thinking, but that's where I would go with it. Yeah. 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 It, it is a natural progression, I think, going from um, military organizations, nonprofits, conversations to first responders. I mean, those worlds overlap a lot anyway. And so, um, yeah, it makes sense that. And there has been such a growth of that, like the podcasts and then nonprofits and then more of the nonprofits have expanded into serving not only veterans, but also first responders as well. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. Wayne, we got a lot of, we got a lot of vets in the in, in right. fire and police right. departments. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I've even noticed too, even from the Hollywood perspective, it's just in everybody's faces now more. How, how often do you see a new fire show or a new PD show popping up on some, yeah. you know, major network and it may not be realistic, but it's still, it's putting the nice. image in front of people that are making them say, Oh, I do wonder what they actually go yeah. through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the camera caught that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was a nice save, man. It's still not sticking. You can't, I found that you can't squeeze it while you're trying to screw it on because it deforms it. And I am uh, so sorry for everyone listening to Spotify right now. Uh, yeah, so. Oh, yeah. I forgot we're on radio, too, now. Dadgummit. So Chris no, almost Chris almost there. dropped his cup for those of you guys listening because the lid came off. He managed to do a save that would impress an MLB shortstop. Not really. He, maybe he maybe the role will sign me. Yeah, well, maybe. Who knows? That's the worst going down the road of squeezing it. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the worst team in baseball right now, right? Yeah. What I read. <laughs> um so yeah, let's uh kind of shift gears a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine, dude. You're fine. No, um sorry, I do want to go back though, but okay. I think so because it is so popular and so those shows and like you were saying, like how realistic, right? Mm-hmm. All these shows are. Um that piece really is important because there's a lot of assumptions that we make based on things that we see or by people we know. And so for clinicians to really, one, individualize and get to know the person in front of you, um, but to try to immerse yourself in the cultures as much as possible. Um, you know, because I've been, I've been at trainings before that were focused on uh, working with first responders and some of the things that come out of clinicians' mouths that work with these populations surprise me, you know, and even just the assumption, because there are, there are jokes made about what PD does and what fire does, but when it comes out of a clinician's mouth, assuming that, you know, you, you guys hang around and that it's not a joke and yeah, like, and there is that assumption that, well, it's easier for you guys because you're, when you get back to the station, you're just chilling or you're just quiet or you're just, you're just working out or you're just eating or whatever. And people don't understand the state of it for that 12 to 24 hours of how you do stay you're not totally chilling and coming down and you know like you're constantly on and prepared um but i think understanding those pieces is really important that we don't make assumptions about what somebody does or their relationship to work on whether it's military or first responder Mm -hmm. so that fire pd relationships a lot like the military between the branches yeah we can we, we can talk smack to each other about 
the donuts and the hose dragger and all that, you know, sleeping all day. Mm-hmm. But somebody who's not in that line right. of work doesn't really understand because yeah. yeah. there's still that mutual respect, and we all know. Yeah, and there's no quicker way to piss one of us off than a therapist saying something like that. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You don't even go here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and knowing that, like, because the reason I love working with your populations because you can be very real, you can be very authentic, you can make a lot of jokes, but you've got to build trust first. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of people forget that and just think like, oh, I can, I can be more of a hard ass or I can say, you know, make a joke or whatever. But without having that relationship, it can be offensive, especially, you know, coming from as a civilian. Mm-hmm. I know being you know, being a fire wife, being the spouse of somebody, a lot of my guys will be like, oh, you're, you're good. You're one of us, you know, and get that. And, or I get a lot of my, a lot of my Leos <laughs> who are just talking about my hose dragger and, you know, so there's, but I, are you just tell them they're long. jealous. Yeah. They're angry. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> get it. We know. <laughs> one thing all cops and firemen have in common. They all wanted to be firemen. Yeah. We just passed the test. <laughs> I'm going to get so many tickets now. Uh, Rachel, I'm I'm interested. um, While you are a fire wife, you are not a firefighter. So what are some of the things you've done or the techniques you've used to kind of see through our bullshit? Because I believe we are world-class bullshitters. I can answer that one. (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm curious of your answer. I was going to just make fun of Jeremy, that's all. I have no oh, idea what you've done. What do you notice? Oh, go for it. I'm no, I was going to say she married Jeremy. That's all you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look who he hangs out with, me. Because, I mean, Jane's the same way. And I'm, I'm not saying that, and I know she's not a counselor or anything, but she sees through yeah. our bullshit, too. <laughs> and she's quick on I don't know. It, and I'm not trying to, to talk down about your job, yeah. but I think that's a wife thing, too. Seeing through our bullshit. Right, right, yeah. So I mean, have, uh, but so, I'm curious to your answer. I'm yeah. just gonna make fun of Jeremy. Cause have, have you learned? Have <laughs> you learned all. that more through being a fire wife, or have you learned that more through your clinical techniques? That's a good question. Um, uh, I think we learned so much from experience. So, being a fire wife, yes, but also, you know, working with these populations for as you know, I mean, I know five years isn't a long time, but um, it's. <laughs> You feel like a long time working with you guys. Um, <laughs> is that working or hanging it's like out marriage. with? Marriage, like, like twenty-five years, something like that. Um, I get that. Yeah, so I think the experience of it probably more than anything. But honestly, like you've got to build trust, and because I might see through the bullshit from day one, but I might not necessarily call you out on it from day one, right? Like if we have that relationship and rapport. I'll do that, um, but there's so much in therapy that's about relationship and connection and attunement, um, and so I just know, like, there's so much to it that is in the midst of that conversation or space with a person where I know it's safe to go there or it's not safe to go there, um, so I would say probably more experience than anything and, and doing the work. Um, and obviously, like, it's a different being married to it and seeing it and going through what, what we went through um, obviously helps in some way, too. Let's talk about Restore. Okay. Do you want to share about how it 
came up. No, however we can decrease the amount of Jeremy talks, we'll do that. So you go ahead. (laughs) Wow. First, see, he wanted to be paid earlier today, and now he doesn't want me talking at all. So this is how how he's getting paid right now by by Um, me not talking. talking. So (laughs) you have to hear your voice. It's priceless. Actually, I think Rachel's doing a great job. I like how every time he asks a question, he goes, that's a good question. In other words, you're an idiot. <laughs> that's what I hear every time. Now I'm just See, that's the story he tells himself. Right, yeah. right. And you start equally sharing. Hey, man, yeah. come live in my world. You guys will have fun. Yeah. So, no. So, we were on going down on a Jeep trip, and as we are wont to do, and just started talking about... I mean, how did it come up? Um, so You're looking for an acronym. Of course, because you can never have too many acronyms. Was it during a bathroom break? <laughs> you could say you're sure an idiot. I'm sure it was after. Just <laughs> right. Do we need to give that backstory? Now? Yeah. yeah, I think you do. <laughs> I giggled the whole time I heard the story. <laughs> Wait, it's a safety thing, man. Right. Sometimes These two gotta, can't even go to the bathroom together without holding hands the whole way there and the whole way back. It's because they're in love, man. Don't knock love, all right? Love is a beautiful thing. If Jeremy Thank had his way, he wouldn't love. I sincerely mean that. <laughs> it's not a me being a smart ass. I really I mean that. That's really sweet. Um, yeah, well, it's probably more about me, somebody having my back when I'm going to pee in the woods somewhere. <laughs> You, to be wrong, wrong choice. Do I wrong choice. Him? Yes. <laughs> so if he, if he, if, he, if a bear comes up on you, you think he's going to stop that bear? Or at no, least he's going to outrun he's you. He's going to do his damn best. Yeah. He's tri- just going to get mauled so I'm by the bear, while we she see runs. A bear. I think I'm more worried <laughs> yeah. about all the other firefighters that we're out off-roading with than I am about a bear. I don't know. Just making sure somebody's watching my back. Valid concern. <laughs> you went with Moran, didn't you? That's yes. yeah. That was your mistake was, right yeah. there. Yeah, somebody who doesn't know where the trail is most of the time. Oh, it looks good over here. I mean, he's blazing he his own path. Paves his own way. Yeah, paves his hey, own way. He's a trailblazer. To, right. to the tune of Sorry. a new front end, uh, <laughs> new police. It's his money. He can spend it how he wants. That's that's exactly the truth. Promise I don't want to spend it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so restore. Restore. Yes. Um, I don't know why we were looking for an acronym. I'll be honest. So restore. So the idea of it came after essentially um, my burnout, um, which I always I had thought I had experienced burnout before. Essentially, it was a delayed stress response and burnout. Um, what I thought was burnout was me just getting tired and fatigued and on the verge of burnout. And so then, obviously, at, at this point in my life, I legit hit burnout. Um, and so it was, I don't know, six months after that and just kind of working through that in recovery. And so we're on, our, on this road trip and just talking about different things and topics of mental health and mental wellness for first responders. And, um, you know, I think looking at what are the pieces that kind of guide my work or guide my therapy. Um, and then we're like, of course, acronyms are great, right? <laughs> we always, everybody in these realms has, has to have acronyms. Um, yeah, and then just came up with a word. I think part of it, too, because it was Restore came about because it was not for us, too. It was there was a, a restoration that happened together as a couple in our marriage and then also individually. And so, like, Restore is a good word. And then just started to plug into the pieces that that actually 
we were passionate about and yeah. to fill it in. Yeah. What's it stand for? So Restore is um, recognize, educate, stabilize, tactical advantage, optimize, resilience, and engage. And each one of those is a basically just a different step. So, and obviously your first step, if you are going down a bad path or starting to go down a bad path or whatever, or you're having an issue, recognize. You have to recognize mm -hmm. it, right? Absolutely. Before you can do anything about it. Um, and then. Yeah. Tactical advantage, you're, you're the one you threw in to help out. Uh, actually. I don't remember if that was yours. No, I think that might have been hers, actually. I'm just curious. I mean. Knowing you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm tacked to cool. You're tacked to dork. <laughs> hey, I play a lot of Call of Duty, all right? Um, but, so, yeah. you know, that, that recognition part, too, and we broke that down into who, what, when, where, and, like, purposefully left out the why part. I always talk to my clients about that because we can't, we don't always know the why of something, like why something is going on or why something happened right or it's not usually a singular issue then either is it it's right. usually a compounding problem right. yeah it's usually yeah. not that clear it's always great when somebody comes in which is something one thing happened there's one incident that's just an outlier and it's rarely like that right like sometimes we have that one thing that's clear um usually not because we're complex creatures um but that piece i think is always important and we can also get stuck on why you know, and get mm -hmm. into that analysis paralysis of why is this happening or why did this happen? Um, so recognizing, you know, like who's involved, um, what's going on, where is it happening? That those kind of pieces are, are important. Yeah. And then from there, we move on to educate. So that's pretty self-explanatory, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. No, that's a huge part of my work. And so, you know, whether what's been fun about Resource 2 is, you know, whether I use it as just kind of this general guideline for my work and how I apply it, um, or whether you're doing a workshop or whatever, right? Because I can, and the educate piece. So, depending on the audience, just kind of affects, you know, the information that you're going to give. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but psychoeducation is a huge part of my work, you know, and so educating my clients about what's going on about how the nervous system functions and just understanding what what is normal and common um is a big piece to normalize too yeah. right because well, we tend to think we're alone um even with the plethora of information out there um about about your work about stress about trauma about pts um we still tend to isolate and assume like I'm the only one that feels it. And so if we can educate to normalize, like that's why I want to yeah. education. Well, and it's so important. partially, you know, there's a knowledge gap, you know, yeah. what's common to her of, you know, Oh, mm -hmm. you're doing this, your body's feeling this way because of this, you know, Joe Schmo off the street or whatever is like, has no clue, no idea. Just like for us, you know, if we're, run a certain call or whatever and we're like okay well that's this and people are like oh i had no idea well it's kind of like know? using the kid board yeah that was normal for me yeah for the, what we had mm -hmm. but never got a bunch of what looks like just trust me i got this yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean the and but that can be applied to 
yeah, any, any walk of life because there is no single person knows everything. And you tend to kind of go down avenues, you know, and you don't really see the side streets yeah. too much. And there's a lot of knowledge down, down those side streets. So you just you know, never, I mean, you're never going to learn it all. Well, while, while we were studying and we're talking about stuff and what everything, everything everybody was going through, just I me mean, talking to both of you guys at the house, learned a lot. Like, yeah. oh, I didn't know that. It made and stuff made sense because yeah. she talked to me like I was a kid and it worked because I understood. <laughs> <laughs> she came to my level. <laughs> Walking away, shaking her head. Sorry. Oh, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so just gotta speak your language. That's right. Yeah. I, no, that's actually that's a good point. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not not so much the idiot thing, but coming in and talking to us how how we talk. Right. And, and, yeah. I, and like I said, our language and the military language and all that. <clears throat> or even, you go as far as say guy language, because guys and right. men and women just speak differently. My wife and I fight about that all the time, but yeah, yeah. You know, but being able to change, that, I think that, that and talking to us the way we're used to being talked to, and with that language, I think that can help lead to healing yeah. faster. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I always joke. You know, cause, I mean, what therapists we're talking about emotions and feelings and stuff, um, but the best way that I cut the the awkwardness or the tension of feelings is, you know, I always joke with my clients. I'm like, all right, so, you know, I'm, I use a lot of dirty language um, and I might kind of talk dirty to you because I'm going to talk to you about words like vulnerability, feelings, emotions, and those are like super dirty words <laughs> for you guys. Um, but it is, you know, like that's the <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on over there. And um, Moran has the creepy crawlies right now. Um, but no, but, you know, but jokingly, like, those, are, those tend to be dirty words for first responders and veterans. You know, to talk about emotions, talk about feelings, to talk about vulnerability. Um, so it's best to just... Yeah, well, we don't, we don't like to talk about that stuff because we're supposed to be the people who help those people, you know? Right. We, we, we're not yeah. supposed to feel those things. We're supposed to help the people feeling those mm-hmm. things. Yeah, yeah. And it's often not helpful, right? Like, right. you know, so so many of my guys, one women that I work with too. So when I say guys, I'm just going to generalize it because I say that a lot, but I'm not just saying men. Um, but my clients, you know, it's that, well, emotions, emotions get you hurt or emotions get you killed or they get, you know, your buddy next to you hurt or killed. And so knowing, like, that's the case and then we're moving into the space where i'm actually saying especially when we're at a really difficult space or we're talking about you know having suicidal thoughts and things i'm like then you're at a point where i'm asking you now dealing with feelings or dealing with emotions are actually what's going to keep you alive versus get you killed and that's a big mindset shift you know but understanding that even about your population that um no they tend to you don't want to have a bunch of emotions or you're going from thing to thing so you don't have time to deal with it in the moment right whether you're going from incident to incident or call to call or whatever um but there is a point where it is actually the thing that does keep you alive by dealing with them right that cardboard box in your head can only hold so much yeah yours is yeah like you talk about how leaky yeah. yours was yeah yeah so and that brings us to stabilize so and that's we broke that down into four different parts too, which is skills, uh, satisfy, safety, and support. I have notes because I got hit in the head a lot. <laughs> I bet she knows it all by heart. I bet she's the one that hit you in the head. <sighs> Rachel is not a violent person. No, 
She did not hit me in the head. Right. I'm like, think about it. Nope, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, nope. No. Let me. Um, yes. So, yeah, ex- expound on those a little bit. So skills, obviously, are coping skills and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Nope, sorry. Um, so in this piece, like, thinking about Restore 2 as, like, seven steps to either responding to something or maintaining health, right? So um, the stabilization part is priceless when we go through something difficult, right? So whether it's one thing, one incident that happened or um, multiple, right? And we're just at a point where we're having some difficulty or whatever. Um, so just being able to to get stable, to you know find some consistency, some stable ground, some structure, because there's safety in that, right? And some predictability. And so those are pieces that I think are just are priceless, right? So being able to like satisfy, just satisfy your basic needs, you know, making sure you're, you're eating, you're drinking water. Um, cause when something happens, like when, you know, when everything went down for you, like the day you went into, or for us that day, when you went into treatment, um, you know, that was a really difficult time. And so of course me, I, tracked it right that's where a lot of this comes from too is that i paid attention to my response to things um so that i could better help my clients too understanding like okay what was the acute stress response what continued to happen how many days was it till i got my appetite back you know because it's like theoretically i know all that um but having the experience of it was a bit more helpful um you know so everything that happened that day and interrupting your suicide attempt was a pretty significant experience for me so um you know even that like the to be able to stabilize that day so the the social piece that social connection was priceless right like you being there Mm -hmm. um like i didn't know what else to do in that moment but i was like i can call you like i knew you would show up right um that's huge like knowing who's in your who's in your tribe, who's in your crew, who's your squad, your unit, whatever language you want to use. Um, going down the hospital and Shannon and Julie from Horses and Heroes being there. You know, like they were calling ahead down at Valor and stuff for me and, um, you know, show, being there, like I never expected them to be there. So that that piece, like my family just showed up, that friends just showed up, um, you know, not at the hospital, but calls and days after and, um, you know, people coming by to mow the lawn, like whatever, like that piece is huge and that's really stabilizing. You know, so when something is really difficult, we need that. Like we need to make sure our needs are met, make sure we have that social support, um, the skills. Yeah, like whatever coping skills you already have, use those coping skills. And if there's more you need to learn. Um, but it takes a bit sometimes to even use the skills. That's why that, I think, satisfying the basic needs and social support is so huge because we don't necessarily when shit goes down, we don't necessarily always go right to the skills that we have. Sometimes like we just need to get stable, have somebody be there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You're not thinking about, Oh, I can use this particular coping skill to do. Right. Yeah. You just react. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause I remember, um, even, you know, my doctor, when I saw my doctor, not too long after that. And we talked about what happened and she, you know, prescribed me a really low dose, um, anti-anxiety med and but she was really cool about it because she was like you know what I know you're gonna go through a lot right now 
um, and you might need this, but I know you and I know you have the skills. And so like, this is, this is temporary, right? Like if you use this to help you kind of get through this, but use your skills. And then if you're having trouble beyond this week, two weeks, month point, you know, she's like, you know what you need to do. You know what skills you need to use. You know who you need to talk to. You know, you, you know, talk to a therapist, like that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, even that, you know, like even my doctor being like, here's some extra support, but you know what to do. You know what skills to use. And if you're having trouble beyond this point. How hard was it to, sep to separate that, though, from what I know how to do and, but this is my husband? Like, how, how, how hard was it? You know, it may have even only taken a day, but what was your thought process like to break that down and yeah. separate the two? Um, it was hard. There were times, I'll say the only time I got really mad at you. Well, no, there was a lot I was mad at, right? But yeah. let's, let's be real. Let's, yeah, let's be real. So we're going time, super duper mad. Right, right, super duper duper mad. Yeah. Um, no, I think you had, and I'm, I, I could say this with love and understanding now, but there was a point I think that you had even made a comment about, you know, you're a therapist. How do you not understand this? And that's not something that would come out of your mouth now, you know, but that was just the space, the mindset you were in at that moment. Yeah. Um, and I was like, but I'm not, you know, but I'm not a therapist right now. I'm your wife right now. And so there's pieces that because of, you know, and so many of my friends, like so much of my tribe is in the world that I work into. So it's like either, either people who are in the first responder professions or in the military or in the mental health realm or all of the above kind of combined. So, you know, me being able to have that was priceless because people got it, right? And so I had enough people showing up that knew how to show up. Um, but I, you know, I think it's like, I knew what to do, which is good. I knew what was going on in me. Right? Like I understood why I wasn't wanting to eat or why I was crying or why my sleep was disrupted or, you know, why I was the anxiety responses and stuff and the stress responses that I was having. So I think that that piece was helpful. Um, but I was still a wife. Right. I, I was still a friend. I was, you know, still hurt. Um, I needed to be that. So even with you in treatment, because these are people that I also know in the field and work with. And so that was even kind of hard for me. I'm like, this is super humbling because like these are people who know me as a professional and as another clinician. And then I have to sit in this space of, of being a wife and walking on this side now um, of being in with the patient versus, you know, treating the patient, um, which was really humbling, but an incredible learning experience too. I think, I think it actually in, in the long run made you a better therapist a counselor yeah because of what you learned because now you know what what it feels like to go be on the other side and go through that yeah yeah how, how long was, what was the healing process professionally like after that um to not have like a triggered response or something like that with your clients based off your own emotions because there still has to be a fine line between professionalism and you know oh, totally. like personal life but yeah. so what was the healing process like that moving forward yeah um so i remember so initially so I am one of those people who, and the reason why I probably had such a delayed response was because I can overfunction and at that point in my life um, and just go into work mode, right? I was like, okay, this is what happened. So he's there and safe. I went back to work the next day, right? So I'm back to work. I'm 
taken care of. My sister had just had a baby and um, we almost lost her just a few days after she gave childbirth. So that was really difficult, traumatic. And I'm in the ICU with my sister. I'm taking care of my dad who has Parkinson's disease and then still working multiple locations. You know, so I'm counseling in multiple areas, working with Horses and Heroes, which actually was really healing for me. I think actually being outside, being with the horses, that was a different kind of therapy. Um, but I was also working at another nonprofit doing inner city work um, with a lot of um, women in the urban core of KCK. And so lots of high trauma. You know, so was I a lot of times kind of just going through that, going through the motions and working? Um, it wasn't until, and I was aware, so I was talking to people about it because I was aware of when triggers were coming up for me in work. Um, but it wasn't probably until six months later that I had the first like flashback and flood of emotions that I knew I was kind of in trouble and needed to deal with it. So for me, like that was that delayed stress response. Um, but I mean, and then after that, being able to really work on it, you know, but I would say, I mean, I'm still healing from it. I don't, I don't get triggered from it, you know, like I did anymore after doing the work and especially the EMDR work that I did was profoundly helpful. But um, I'd say a good six months to a year. Um, but after the six months, I really worked on it clinically. That first six months, I'm kind of powering through, doing the work, um, aware in between sessions of having to work on stuff and process so that I could go back into another session in a healthier way, right, to be honest. Um, but I also had a great support system of people who could step in too. Like if I knew clinically I couldn't show up the way I needed to show up for a client, you know, I worked in both places where, you know, somebody else is there or we can adapt what we're doing. Um, so it's just priceless for me to be able to do that. I don't know if that answers would, yeah, your def question. Definitely okay. did. Which leads us to tactical advantage. Mm -hmm. Knowing your enemy and taking away their ability to wage war. So having the high ground. Having the high ground. Yeah. I brought yeah. back to Star Wars again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made a Star Wars reference the last couple shows ago. I did. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, you got to that point where you had that tactical advantage because you knew what you were dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't... Uh, the suicide attempt, and that's what's funny about stress and about trauma... Um, is that I, I would have thought, so the relationship stuff that we went through, that relational trauma or the relationship wound, I think was the thing that was, I thought was going to be the most triggering, and it was, right? Like if I would be sitting in a session and somebody else would be talking about that sort of story or something that related, you know, I would notice a thing in me. Um, but the it wasn't until, and it hit me by surprise, which was helpful for me to experience, because um, so many of my clients would talk about that. Like, I'm just driving down the road, and all of a sudden something hits, and I'm, like, bawling, or it's overwhelming, and I can't stop it, right? And I personally had not had that kind of experience until we're driving down the road just talking, and you talk about going to the gun range with Chris, and it hit me like that. Like, I had no control over it. It was just – it took me right back there to that day, um, to the sounds, to the images, and a complete flood of emotions, right? And 
I know you're like, what do I do? And I'm just going through, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I know I need to ride the wave, I need to breathe, I'm trying to do different <laughs> skills that I teach other people to use. Um, and I remember emailing my therapist going to like, hey, this just happened, like, I clearly need to address this because that was the first time that it, and that was six months later, and it was just out of nowhere, you know? Um, but I think knowing that too, because that's how it can happen. It can happen like it feels like it's out of nowhere. There's one trigger that just wakes it up. Um, you know, so we worked on it. We did EMDR and combination of EMDR and art therapy, and which was incredible. Um, and we're able to take the charge out of that to where I can talk about it and I can get through the story without, it doesn't reactivate, you know, it doesn't, um, I don't go back there. You can tell the story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And So we're going to the gun range. Are we going? Because I got excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I got excited for a second. I was like, "That was like a year now." Was that? Oh, no, I remember. I remember when it was we over a year ago. Yeah, that was in the. F- yeah. 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 I I, I remember That's when that happened. Yeah. 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 We talked about it. Yeah. But yeah. was, was I mentioned? Did I? Did I? No. Get it? Okay. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Your gun won't shoot anyway. It's so dirty. Yeah. Clean your guns. I am so. I was so angry when I saw his guns. <laughs> like I was. <laughs> Physically angry. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, back yeah, to tech. So you can go now. <laughs> yeah. so now it is can. no longer a trigger. Okay. Yeah. You can go. So, but but talking about tactical advantage, something that we had talked about also, and we wanted to make sure that we mentioned was the the shame and guilt yeah. of knowing, and and that seems to be. I know for me personally, that was one of my sticking points mm-hmm. is just an overwhelming, you know, just since can't believe I did this. Mm-hmm. Can't believe I got to this point, yeah. you know, and just, I was ashamed. And it was bad for a long yeah. time. Yeah. So is that, is guilt and being ashamed an appropriate emotional response, Rachel? So they're different. So I would say guilt, yes, shame, no. So guilt basically says I did something wrong and shame says I am wrong. And so I think delineating, differentiating between those two is really important, right? Because sometimes guilt is helpful, right? Like, sure, there were things that that you could legitimately feel guilty about, right? And it's something that can correct behavior or can correct behavior. Um, Shame usually is not helpful, right? Like shame just wants us to hide. It wants, it says horrible things about us. We say horrible things about ourselves. Um, and it tends to be the thing that people isolate, people hide. Um, I think it's a huge contributor to suicide. Um, and it's not, it's not talked about enough. And I think guilt and shame get combined. Sometimes guilt turns into shame over time. Um, but shame is very damaging. So I think understanding the two is really important you know because for for you even you know I remember like when things were difficult and so you know even before like with my sister and my dad and your dad having a stroke and your dad passing away like those were all difficult times and I would notice you isolating more I'd notice you checking out I've noticed you drinking like we watch all these signs right like these are the signs that you watch for um and for you, I remember talking about it. I remember checking in. I'm like, are you really okay? Like, 
you know, and more of your nightmares and more of I'm not sleeping at night because you're having bad, violent nightmares. And, um, but it wasn't until that moment where, because, you know, for you, suicide wasn't an option until all of a sudden it was. And it was shame that truly led you there more than, more than anything else. Like all those other things, like the grief, the loss, any feelings of anxiety and depression, things like that, that you could have coped with, but the shame was the thing that yeah, absolutely. took you to the, I don't want to be alive anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I was at the point where I didn't, I didn't see anything past right then. Mm-hmm. And that's why I made the decision that I did. Yeah. So I'm, thank God you were there to stop me. Twice. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because yeah. it wasn't yeah. just one gun. <clears throat> it was not. It was two. It was not. Yeah. Yeah. You ever watched that show Big Mouth <clears throat> on Netflix? No. So I think it was season three, maybe. It was two or three. They have a shame monster. So the premise of the show is a bunch of teenage, like preteens and teens, mm-hmm. going through puberty. And they make a big joke about it. But actually, it's when you get past the jokes and the dirty jokes, there's a lot of serious stuff in there. And the shame monster is one of it. And how, you know, he he preys on you and then, you know, you got shame. Everything you do, you're you're ashamed of what you do because your hormones are out of control at that point. But then how they overcome the shame monster and all that. I mean, it's actually a pretty good little. Yeah. If you like oh. dirty humor, it's freaking hilarious. <laughs> it's t- I mean, it's total toilet humor. <laughs> but it's right up a first responder in the military. That's alley. Might be but, able to borrow from it. Yeah. <laughs> you, might, you never know. But, I mean, but it, it, it really did address a lot of stuff that you go through during puberty. Mm-hmm. Things that you don't really know how to express. But just, the whole shame thing, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 I, I never, I never would have distinguished the difference between the two. Really? I, yeah. Me I, I thought they were just universal. Yeah, oh, same here. Yeah, a lot of people do. I shouldn't say really, question mark. It's a big topic because most people do combine them and don't differentiate between them. Um, yeah, and that's, that's a big part of, of my work, too. And then I think, but of helping, because I don't, and I don't think any clinician, like, we don't want us to be the end-all, be-all, right? Like, it needs to be helping other people be like this um, for each other, too. Because it's like, you know, I have so many clients and who have been, uh, you know, have battled with suicide. Majority of them battle with suicide or suicidal thoughts. And so, but who go, man, it was my tribe, you know, that got me through it. It was the other guys and having somebody to talk to. And, um, but that's what, I, that's what I want, right? Like, I don't want it to be about me. Like, clinicians are not always easily access, accessible, you know, um, or don't always have the answers. But to be able to build that community outside of it where it's okay to talk about that stuff. Because, you know, like Brene Brown talks about the antidote to shame being light, being bringing it out into the light. Um, being able to be with you, like, connect to you, your humanity, and what you were going through or what we were going through, right? Like that, that's what we need to be able to do for each other. So like, yes, was I hurt? Did I have wounds from it? Absolutely. But what I was able to do, like the grace I was able to find was seeing the human across from me who was profoundly hurting and 
dealing with a lot of brokenness, right? And so the last thing that I ever want is for someone to be in such a space of darkness or shame that they think I'm better off dead or people are better off without me, right? And so we've got to create that for each other, not just the clinician telling that, but for all of us as humans to create that kind of safe and space that you can bring your shit out into the light and I can sit with you in it and we'll get through it. Because uh, that's a huge antidote to shame. Which brings us to optimize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at segues. Okay? So is that what we just did? We just optimized it? No. So, yeah, do you want to, well, I love the tactical advantage. I don't know if I, just adding in that awareness, so like, you know, the three parts of being aware of your enemy or adversary, which shame, suicidal thoughts, all the negative stuff, that's what we look at as the adversary, not necessarily another person, mm -hmm. um, but knowing your terrain and knowing yourself as well. Like, so knowing what your stuff is, knowing what your triggers are, what your, but also positive stuff, right? Like, we have a lot of good things. We have a lot of growth and lessons and strength and resilience that we can pull from. Um, and yeah. that's the piece, yeah, then to optimize. Yeah. Go for it. Do you want She's better at this than you are. Let her keep leading. I second it. Don't even try and argue. Go ahead, Rachel. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> Just take your headphones off and walk that way. <laughs> we got this. <laughs> but don't go into shame. It's fine. You're doing great. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'm going to celebrate my small victory. Which is what? <laughs> yeah. Wait. What's, what's your I'm small sorry, victory? <laughs> yeah. What, what's your small victory? Well, <laughs> that, she, that you married her? Oh, that's a big victory. Yes. Yeah, I kicked your coverage. Yeah, I did. No, but you have to celebrate your victories in your recovery. You don't get it. So, I, right, I, know so what you're, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you know, you're going to make me explain. Look what you've done, Chris. See, we were trying to get her to do all the oh, talking. Hang on, i got to get ready for it's this. It's just backfire. <laughs> Go ahead. So, you, look, recovery is not a straightforward, straight-line process. I absolutely agree. So you're going to take steps forward, steps back, steps to the side, whatever. The important thing is to keep moving forward with those positive things and to recognize those positive things. This, take for the example of you're standing at the bottom of a big old mountain, right? And you're looking up and going, oh, my God, this mountain's so huge, I'm never going to get to the top of it. But then you put one foot in front of the other and one foot in front of the other. And instead of dwelling on what's behind you, you're just concentrating on, I'm going to take one step, one step, one step. And then you take that look back. Like, oh my gosh, I'm halfway up the mountain. Woohoo! Throw, throw yourself a little party. And then keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So that's not exactly optimized, but I just needed a sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> eh, kind of, yeah. So yeah. I got so, there, I went, instead of going this way, I went this way to get there faster. Sometimes you got to speed them up. There, right? You yeah. got to speed them up sometimes. I do remember seeing this while, when we were studying on the board yeah. and reading it and stuff like that. Because you had it in your office. Oh, home. yeah, on the dry erase board. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I read it constantly. I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, what's she talking about? <laughs> She's crazy. Very crazy mental <laughs> <magic>. <laughs> <laughs> One of those psych movies. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful mind. 
Yeah. <laughs> Scary. Um, yeah, so the optimize is really just so observing and optimizing um, what is working, what is helpful, what's positive. So observing, like, when do I, when am I feeling good? When am I feeling peaceful? When am I feeling connected? When am I, you know, just all the pieces that you want to feel more of, I think paying attention to that, because we tend not to pay attention to the positive. We, And that's just human beings. That's how we function. That's a survival thing, right? Like, you're going to remember the food that made you really sick more mm -hmm. than the meal that you had that was really good, right? Because that's just Yeah, you always dwell on the, on the bad. You dwell on it. Yeah. That's all there is yeah. to it. We all do. Right. It's, it's human nature, and that's how we survive. But unfortunately, it can be – I mean, it's helpful when, you know, you're out in the desert and you need to remember that thing that made you sick, you know, <laughs> or that, that animal that you ate or whatever, that plant that you ate that made you sick. But – on a day-to-day -day basis for us, right, it can be really problematic because we focus so much more on the negative. So being able to spend a little bit more time observing and paying attention to what is helpful, um, what does work for me, and then optimizing on that versus, yeah, the negative. <laughs> Sorry, I want to burp on the mic. I was worried about that myself today. I was like, okay, these are things I can't do. Like, I can't burp. I can't cuss too much. Like, you know what you should add, add it to I that list? Do on the mic. She should have added don't hit the cord on the mic because she's done it about do that a lot. two dozen times. Because yeah. my hand, I'm like. I wish I would have had a little. My hand. <laughs> I, I wish I had a little piece of paper. I could have checked every tire or marked every time to see where we're at. No. My hand. Dang it, Rick, Ricky Bobby, that don't make no sense. <laughs> and honestly, there's, there's been a couple times where I've just focused on that. I'm like, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. <laughs> so I'm just, I know, that's why I'm like, I'm going to hold this so I can fiddle. I, I told you how still to sit. I did. You did, uh, yeah. Why do you think I'm keeping my hands in my pocket here? I don't, I don't, because I talk with my hands too. So down here I could do that, but I'm not hitting nothing. Oh, I don't know. Maybe shouldn't. That's not a good look on video. Hey, you think what you want. I'm doing me. <laughs> he, he's a All very right. resilient person. Yeah. <laughs> With, this is a segue. Yes, yeah, like, segue. <laughs> okay. I don't care what you think of me. I said resilient. Oh, I thought you said Brazilian. I don't know. <laughs> My hearing's going. I don't care. <laughs> I hear like every third word. Uh, so explain resilience to us. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please talk. <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah. You have the picture of it here. Yeah. The epitome of resilience. Yeah. Um, so resilience is just really the ability to be able to bounce back from things, right? And so I think an important piece about it is that um, it takes effort. Like it's not just somebody's born resilient and another person isn't born resilient. You know, we make that false assumption with like babies assuming like, oh, they're just born resilient and we're not. Like that happens through healthy attachments and bonding and the security that we receive from our primary caregivers. And so we can really foster and build resilience. Um, so I think that piece, understanding that is important. And so what I always talk to my clients about, so even looking at all of those steps of restore, that all of those things that you're doing ahead of that piece of resilience are helping to build resilience. So it's about behaviors and rela relationships, a huge part of it um, that helps us to be more resilient. But then all the behaviors and stuff that we do um, to be more flexible, to be more adaptable, to, to be able to bounce back from adversity and difficult things. 
but the relationship yeah. part is huge. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I will second that because I know that I wouldn't be where I am today without you and our relationship and, you know, how we, how you helped me work through everything. So that much I know. Well, I'm glad I was there. Yeah. But it was, it was the, and I love, I think resilience is a part of that when we've talked about like post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. because we focus so much on PTS or PTSD and we don't talk about the growth part nearly enough. Um, and whether it's in the clinical realm or, or not, you know, just in regular conversations. But um, because I think most people, like if you would ask people, like, do you know what, have you heard of PTS? I did it again. Or heard of PTSD? <laughs> and everybody's going to say, like, yes. And if, like, well, have you heard of post-traumatic growth or PTG? And you know, there's going to be some people who are going to say no. Um, so that, because that experience, no matter how difficult, like I would never, I wouldn't trade it because of the, what came out of it individually for both of us um, was so powerful and life-changing and transformative in a good way. And then also for our relationship, you know, so it's difficult as it was like we as individuals are more resilient our relationship is more resilient because of it um like I remember my therapist um literally like writing down she's like okay I need to write down what you just said because I had said you know it was it was shattering enough to also break the bad and so it broke bad habits bad illusions patterns in our relationship things like that um and that was priceless right and so I think that I don't know it's just a big piece of resilience and remembering that like there's so much growth that can happen um, but we've got to do the things to be able to be resilient um, all the skills like you and I have talked about it kind of like PPE you know it's not it's not perfect all the time it's not going to protect you 100% of the time it's not always necessarily going to work but it's better than nothing and so remembering all of those skills and stuff that you have to be able to build resilience um, and you want lots of them because they're not always going to work the way that if it worked before, it might not work again or in the same way. And that's normal. Um, but it's better than nothing. That's why we need to build those relationships and behaviors that support resilience. Yeah. yeah. That's a great way to explain it. Yeah. So we can engage. <laughs> I'm going to be you. <laughs> and that's how then we can engage in life. Um, but that engagement piece, so being able to stay engaged or get re-engaged in life after something difficult or after burnout or whatever, a traumatic incident, um, that, and I think, you know, you and I had talked about um, engaging in, like, my why or my purpose for what I do, um, and that's a huge piece, right? Because sometimes all of us in a profession, especially a profession of service, and that's very service over self, um, when and you did it for a reason right like I don't I've never had anybody in my office or at the barn who um, is in the service other than those I worked with who are drafted during Vietnam um, so a first responder or a service member who didn't do it for a reason who didn't do it to make a difference um, there was a driving purpose for them and then sometimes we get to a point of burnout where we're like I forgot about that where is that piece again mm -hmm. um, and so knowing that, like finding that again, 
but also knowing that that why or that purpose is not going to compensate for a poor foundation for poor self you know self-care is like another dirty word for people who are very service-minded um it's like stinky word it looks like (laughs) we know what what Marianne's dirty words are emotions and feelings and self-care and but think I tell you know I tell my guys like think about it like the things that you need to do to be mission ready the things that you need to do um what word am I looking for not mission ready you're the educated one in the group you tell us functional Uh, no (laughs) fit for duty fit for duty that's three words I wasn't looking for one sorry um you know but make like personal wellness or self-care a part of that right like I've got to do these things to be able to be fit for duty I've got to do these things so that it it is for others too right because you like I need to be healthy for the people around me too um and so I'm like just make it a part of that um because for me like I know the work I do is what, and I've always known this since I was a kid, like this was the work that God called me to do. You know, before being a counselor, I was in ministry. So I've always known that I was like, I'm here for service. I'm here to help others. I'm here to help people heal in some way. But no matter how big that purpose is for me, if I don't also take care of myself and make sure I'm healthy, then I just go down with the shit, right? And I learned that the hard way. Right. Um, and a lot of people do learn that the hard way because they don't think about it, yeah. especially, you know, in our profession, mental health. It's not I mean, it's talked about more now than it has ever been in the past. Mm-hmm. But people don't see that as an integral like, OK, yeah, we're going to go work out. We're going to keep our body fit or we're going to go train and we're going to make sure that we know how to advance that hose line or cut that hole or whatever. We're going to know that yeah. so that we can be ready whenever we get a call. They don't think about okay, well, I need to make sure that my brain is right as far as emotionally because I'm going to see some stuff and it may affect me and probably will and it's going to over time. How am I going to deal with that? Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect that a lot of us, we don't even think about mm-hmm. until shit hits the fan. Right, right. Yeah, because that's usually when you guys show up in office like I joke about it with um, with EAP you know that it's like that's usually though if it's a first responder coming in and if it, even if it's EAP it's usually not just oh I'm having some work stressors it's usually <laughs> shit hit the fan and I I need somebody right now and that's why I keep my schedule to where I can get people in quickly or talk as soon as I can that it's not I'm not putting out you know two weeks um, and so I keep that space open because you guys tend not to reach out until you really need it. Um, and, but that's why I think it's so important to create within your own community, with your own tribe, to be able to have that. Because, I mean, that's what I bank on, like having that kind of peer support, not necessarily just the, you know, like actual peer support system, but just you guys among peers having that. Um, then I can we can deal with the stuff in therapy that we need to deal with, but on a day-to-day basis, you need people supporting you in that way outside of the therapy office too. Yeah. To normalize that too. Yeah. Cause yeah, yeah you're human. So you're going to have responses and feelings about things. <gasps> I know no matter how bad you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. She said the F word. Feelings. Feelings. Yeah. So dirty. Yeah. 
We're going to have to talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> I could have said the actual F word. Wait, yeah, that would have just smoothed right over. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Done. Yep. Mic drop. So close. I'm going home. <laughs> You're already here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to go eat dinner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm curious we talked earlier about um you know like the different branches and things and um like when it comes to law enforcement because we had referenced earlier you know why do we think some of these things are now coming to the forefront Mm -hmm. something i kind of had in the back of my mind is if you go all the way back to what 2013 2014 um to the mike brown shooting and it really brought police tactics and and law enforcement to the forefront a lot of it questioning but then there were also people that said again i don't know what goes on here let's learn more about it look what's going on um i'm curious with the law enforcement personnel you've worked with for the most part military firefighters are very much appreciated everybody loves them there's there's never lacking in support for them right yeah law enforcement's different it is and um they are the same as us they a lot of them a sense of their identity is their job mm-hmm and when that identity then becomes hated mm-hmm. and, you know, talked bad about, what are some of the struggles you've seen with law enforcement officers and how they've kind of dealt with that in a career that's very much not loved right now? Yeah. Um, so I would say more burnout, more burnout or um, like a quickening of it um, or compassion fatigue because it is like, you know, across the board law enforcement knows that, that, you know, they don't, People aren't ten. Dang it! I did it again. <laughs> People don't aren't usually happy when the cops show up, right? But the firemen show up, and they're like, "Hey, the firemen," you know. And so, and you know, even like my clients and law enforcement will joke about that, right? But, but it is reality. So even when there isn't as much negativity like there is right now, that exists, right? Um, but I think what I've seen is just more stress about it you know, more thinking about retirement, more burnout. Um, But it also is going home in a different way where there's a shift in officers, you know, whether they drive their patrol car home or not, you know, or regardless, their police car, like they're not taking things home that would identify them as an officer. Um, You know, and I think that that exists, but it exists more now, and I hear about that more now too just even fear of how it's affecting family too you know because that's a different thing like we express so much like on the fire side and like nobody nobody's afraid to go like oh yeah my spouse is a fireman or my dad's a fireman or whatever um are you not afraid to like drive by the house in the truck or the pumper that they know where you live but so for for law enforcement to have to go is that safe that people know that I'm in law enforcement. Is it safe for my family that they know that? And I've I've seen that a lot more, too. What What are even some of the coping techniques to begin to address, let alone the operational safety and security of it, but just the burnout when there, one could argue there is no hope on the horizon? Yeah. So I know it sounds cliche to say, like, to be able to talk about it, but if you if you can talk about it, like getting something out, whoever that is, whether that's a therapist or your friend or family member or whatever, but to be able to to get some of that out is 
create some relief, um, to do things that you enjoy doing, because that tends to happen like, it's like when we start to burn out, we also do less and less of the things that we enjoy, right? So it's like, you go to the gym less, or you go fishing less, or you, you know, play games, like whatever it is, um, people start to do those things less and less too, which are, those are the exact things that you need to optimize and do. Um, a lot of people and who, you know, I've done some trainings with great clinicians who their entire thing is burnout, um, and they'll talk about radical self-care, which again, I know <laughs> is a really hard thing to talk about, um, or uncomfortable, but that's a piece of it. Like sometimes you've got to figure out like, where can I back off a little bit? Um, you know, I know a lot of cops who have stopped working off duty, you know, so making choices where you can, um, things that are in your control, because there's lots of pieces that aren't, right? And so finding ways that we can step back a little bit, finding ways that we can optimize the things that are helpful, um, taking care of your basic needs. It sounds cheesy, but everybody who walks in my office and they know it, like if they don't show up with water or something, I'm handing them water, and there's multiple reasons I do that. Um, but even feeding that, like you need to stay hydrated, you need to be eating as good as you can eat. Um, knowing that under more stress and burnout, you know, you're probably going to want to drink more, you're going to want to eat more sugar, and there's stress response systems that kick that in. Um, but knowing that, so being able to just try to do basic healthy things um, to stabilize are really actually helpful. It's because um, there's not a big fat magic answer to, to burnout, but sadly a lot of it comes down to self-care too. What do you do? <laughs> Kind of going back to uh, when we were going through our acronym, and we're talking about like reengaging. Mm-hmm. For your first responders, especially your veterans, that there is no, you know, they've done their four years, they've done their eight years, and they're out. It's done. Um, it's a little bit different for first responders, especially post injury or something like that, where there is still a drive to get back. How do you get your clients to buy back into that identity that was them? Or find, you know, not an alternate identity, but something that they can also buy in and still find the self-worth that they usually would find in their careers. Yeah. Um, that piece is really important because there is, um, there's an a- attachment and bond and relationship that happens in these professions, right? And so that transition out of something is usually a little bit easier. Like if we have a really solid support system or solid relationships outside of it. Um, cause one of the struggles that I see from a lot of my veterans as, you know, the ones that, that come in with difficult childhood experiences, um, you know, they go into the military and they find that structure and consistency and support and relationships and healthy attachment that they needed. And so then you get out of it and it's super disorienting, right. Um, and really isolating. Um, so for me, and this is probably why I stay in touch with so many um, nonprofits in the area, um, you know, lots of VSOs, um, and then connected. Like, I will, when I know my clients who are in a good space, that I know I can connect them to this other person. So I do a lot of that, um, really getting people on the phone with somebody else, because it's a different thing hearing from a civilian clinician versus, you know, another veteran. And so personally, like, I make a lot of those connections, because that's a I mean, that's a big piece of it um, while I'm staying with them because sometimes they're just not ready, right? They're just not ready to reconnect or 
reconnecting with other veterans, you know, brings up stuff or they think, you know, like it's, it's going to re-engage stuff or it's going to re-trigger things or, um, you know, it's not the same. Like, because they, so many will grieve being out of the military, um, that then reconnecting with other veterans can almost like bring it back up, right? Um, but that's exactly what they need. And so I think even being able to hear that from other veterans, that this is what it was like for me too. Um, if they're not ready, like, I mean, this is why I follow a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books by um, other veterans and first responders or people who work with them. Like I hand out just about to every one of my guys um, recommend Nick Kumalatso's book, The Excommunicated Warrior. And I don't think I've had anybody come back and go and not like that book, any veteran especially. And I think anybody going through transition, it's helpful for. Um, but he talks about his experience transitioning and the isolation and then, you know, being able to, like, reconnect. And that piece is priceless, like, for so many of my, you know, men and, many and women. Um, but veterans who listen to that or read that and are like, that was really normalizing or that's exactly what my experience was like which then helps them to start thinking about okay maybe I do want to connect to another group or other veterans because um, you need that you need that tribe and that's what there's a lot of great veterans around here running great nonprofits for exactly that purpose you know to get find the squad again find the unit again you know have your tribe it's a big piece of it find your mission yeah, yeah, and that that's becomes your new mission, and that's a really good point because then getting healthy, um, staying alive, you know, um, removing so that enemy being like suicide and shame and all of that stuff, and removing that ability for those things to wage war can become your new mission. And so if you can get people to reconnect with that, um, yeah, it's helpful. It's not always easy, but those are the things personally that that I try to do to get veterans reconnected yeah. all right i like what you guys came up with the restore i like that a thank lot thank you thank you you did a good job rachel thank yeah, fantastic job <laughs> yeah thank you Great jeremy job, good job on, good the, job, jeremy. on the tactical good advantage. job driving <laughs> yeah well good job a, listening yeah. yeah it's a good idea babe that's a great idea honey yeah. it's a great sounding board very encouraging yeah i'm impressed that's hey man <laughs> it's what i do that's my mission <laughs> She's the smart one. Um, You're the encourager. Yes, I'm the encourager. That's a nice word for dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you ever take a beat in this day? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. I can't wait to have Rachel back on here. Yeah. I can't wait to have Jane on. She already oh, said She already said no. She already yeah. said no. She doesn't like me. That, I mean, she doesn't like you. <laughs> What it's like to be a first responder spouse. Yep. Honestly, I, yeah. I, I, I thought about asking that earlier, but then, I, I mean, I didn't like the, you know, how, I know my back hurts, I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. But how, or what you go through, and what, when we're at the station, and the, the stress that puts on you guys, worrying about what we're doing, what we're getting into, because we never know what we're going to do day to day. Right, yeah. And how, how that plays a factor, and you know what I mean? There's that kind of stuff, but. Yeah. I think doing having the wives on here wouldn't be a bad mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, because it's a yeah, it's a whole different ball game of its own. And I think that's why first responder spouses connect, and mm -hmm. why I 
I love working with spouses, you know, of veterans and um, first responders because it is different. You get it. Like there's just a different piece and culture that you understand. Um, and I think why they, you know, why we try to stay connected because um, it's own, own unique beast. It's probably a little bit easier for us because we don't have kids. Um, you know, because that, that's a whole different ballgame, mm -hmm. right? When you guys... But you have patches, and that takes as much time as a child. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Found a Full circle. Back in. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. That's so called a callback. <laughs> yeah. But, she, I mean, she's right. I mean, when, when my son was younger, mm -hmm. my wife did most of the work when I was at work. And I was working overtime, too. You know, so she... Mm -hmm. Majority of it fell on her. We just had the one, so it made it easier, but still... Well, that's an idea that we should probably explore mm -hmm. at a later date. And you know what the best part is? It was her idea. Yep. So it means we have to do it. Yep. Or else you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. But you have to convince your wife. Oh, that's a no for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll ask her once, and that's going to be in the conversation. Yeah. Don't mess with redheads. Just have, have, couple, have two of them on. Have you know what we got to do is we're going to send Rachel in. Yep. <laughs> the old I think we should switch. just do like three wives and I just host it because I can talk about bad about you guys all day. That's not a problem. It would be a great show. Yeah, we're not doing that. It would be the highest <laughs> ratings ever. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have tens of viewers. <laughs> all right. Well, Rachel, thank you for coming on and sharing with us. I appreciate that very, very much. You're welcome. Um, thank you, Mrs. Green. Welcome. Why are you calling her Mrs. Green? Because I'm respectful. Sorry, you're not. It's because he doesn't know her. It's the first well. time ever that he's called her Mrs. Green. It's always been Rachel before, every Jeep trip, every other time. That's right. I'm not offended by it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with Rachel. Other than yeah. we'll, we'll add in Willoughby. Yeah. I had to fight for that back. So. Yes. That's what. I had somebody remind me of that. Um, actually, it was very dear. Another fire wife the other day reminded me of it. She's like, She's like, are you always going by Willoughby Grange? She's like, you probably should because it took a lot of effort for you to get the Willoughby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get the Willoughby back. Yeah. Because I don't know if you guys, did you know that? What? That I, so I had taken, I hope that's not insulting because this no. is just personal. It's not anything about yeah. you. Because um, I struggled with the name change. And then I took Jeremy's name and obviously couldn't live with it. I was never okay with just being green. <laughs> It's like Willoughby was like nobody wants to be green. To Come like, on, it was my identity. Like I just connected with my last name, and and professionally it was hard because everything was in Willoughby. So, but to be able, which is funny because it's the last name I was born with, but to be able to um, get your last name back, you have to go to court. Because um, it's like an official name change. It's not just a marriage right. name. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So. Luckily, I know enough attorneys who help me with the paperwork, and then I had to take a class because I don't want to hire an attorney, so you have to take a class to represent yourself in the Missouri courts. So I took a class, <laughs> go to court, same before a judge that I know because he, he and I went to church together. Um, Did you walk in really? To just, I don't know. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Listen, but, Carl, here's how it's going down. <laughs> I need Willoughby back in there, so that's how I got I, green. I just now, figured now you were like the rest of us who didn't like the last name Green. No. So you're like, no, I'm keeping part of mine. Yeah. Which now I, I embrace you. it in a different way. I think after what we went through and 
um, the relationship we have now. And is it Mr. and Mrs. Willoughby Green? <laughs> Just Willoughby. He's I can't, Mr. Willoughby. I can't wait till it's doctor. <laughs> That's what I'm waiting on. <laughs> Mr. and doctor. Like Green. he's probably not, doesn't want to pay that bill. Yeah. It's like, nope. I, if you want to get your doctor, I'd be all for it. I think you should. I appreciate that. One of these days. I mean, you're, we know you're smart enough. Thank you. We'll see. That's how it's done, Jeremy. Pay attention. <laughs> I got you. All right. <laughs> and with that, thank you for being on the show. And like we close every show, if you are struggling or you know someone is struggling, say something. Reach out. There is always a way forward, and you are never alone. So this has been The Washdown. Thanks for stopping by.